0: Hello everyone, my name is Mrs Broadrib and I am a geography teacher at Wilden School. This is for all the Wilden students but anybody studying AQA GCSE geography, you're going to find this podcast really helpful for your studies. So let's move on to today's session and it's a case study. A case study is essentially when we just have a deep dive, a really good look at an example and a place on the planet and today is all about the Sahara Desert you guys need a case study of a hot desert and you're going to need to know specifically the opportunities so like minerals energy tourism and so on and then as well as the challenges so the extreme temperatures the availability of water and the inaccessibility so wilderness we have chosen for you the sahara desert perhaps one of the most famous deserts so the thing you need to know about it is where it is located and it runs across northern africa so it runs across the north is the first thing and it lies either side of the Tropic of Cancer and the thing after that to remember is some countries in the Sahara. Egypt is a famous one but you've got lots of others technically you've got 11 others like Sudan, Chad, Libya, Nigeria, Algeria, Mauritania, Morocco, Mali just to name a few there so we know where it is northern Africa either side of the equator we're like running through countries like Egypt Well what we need to know now though is specifically these opportunities and the challenges and I'm going to start with the challenges mainly because it's just raining outside so I can't get out for my daily walk yet so let's start with the challenges so we've got the top three we have got extreme temperatures write that down please number two the limited water supply and number three the inaccessibility It is hard to get to so those are our three in an exam obviously you would start to write those down but we need to do what we call we need to develop us teachers say you know you need to expand you need to explain your points so let's go through a couple in more detail let's take the extreme temperatures In the Sahara, it can be over 40 degrees Celsius during the day. Now think about working in those temperatures. That is going to be incredibly difficult. I can remember a time when we were in school and it was hot and it was summer. I said I remember when I was in room 561 and it was hot. We only had a door. We didn't have any windows and it was only about 25 degrees in England, but none of us could concentrate. Can you imagine though 40 degrees C with the sun beating down on your neck? So physical work is really difficult in these temperatures. And any job opportunities you have got, like perhaps, you know, farming or mining, is only gonna be restricted to certain times of the year and certain times of the day. You would not be doing this job in August, in the peak summer, for example. You wouldn't be doing it, you know, anything from, I guess, around 10, 11 a.m. to about 3 or 4 a.m. when the sun is at its highest. So we've got this first thing, the daily temperatures make working extremely difficult as well as dangerous. The hot season as well. So when we think about summer and those temperatures when they're gonna be at the hottest, so what we would class as our summer in June, July, and August, actually it's gonna be too hot for tourists. So if any of you guys have been to like Egypt, for example, you've been to another desert area. I know Dubai is quite common for a holiday these days. Um, The summer is actually their low season. You know, June and July when it's our summer holidays, it's actually too hot for tourists. And so actually tourism is seasonal. They can't have tourists all year round because it's too hot. Very nice in January and February when it's cold and rainy in England like now, but actually not in what is our traditional summer. So we've got there, we've just unpicked one of these extreme temperatures, one of the problems with it. Next up, let's take the limited water supply. So, the Sahara's rainfall is unpredictable. We know the definition of a desert is that there are less than 250 and fifty millimetres of rainfall. Now, the Sahara actually gets less than 70 mil in places. And that's over an entire year. And let's add to that challenge, sometimes it might just come in one or two events there could be a flash flood and a quick storm and you literally have about 30 millimetres of that rainfall in one event. So it's not only the lack of rainfall, it can be, I love this word, sporadic really sporadic so these rivers only flow for part of the year so they're not continually topped up like rivers in the UK are now because it's raining it seems all the time at the moment but these rivers only flow for part of the year so actually getting water all year round is incredibly really tough really really tough with that Let's add to that then, so let's just take up that since 1969, the water that is actually in the aquifers, so these are the underground stores, there are underground stores in, um, underneath the um, Sahara Desert, they've actually been used up, I cannot believe it, so there's this underground lake, this huge aquifer, under Morocco, and it's already lost 1.5 cubic metres of water, Uh, I mean it's frightening, it took over a million years to make this water and then they're gonna use it up by about 2050. It is frightening. My class, you'll remember we studied this for resources, the resource management unit. We actually looked at Egypt and how they're growing potatoes for our supermarkets in England and using up their underground aquifers. So we've got a limited water supply because we don't get much rainfall and the store that we've got, the aquifers are being used up for mining and farming as well. So double trouble there. This is a really expanded point right and then the third challenge inaccessibility it can actually take five days to transport salt from the salt mines of mali out of the desert five days is a long time just to get it out of the desert And then you've got to get it from Mali to obviously all the countries you need to export it. So it's incredibly difficult and a long time. Because it's so inaccessible, we don't have running water. We don't have electricity. We call it, it's too remote. It's too remote and it will also be too expensive. We've got to lay these electric cables, these pipelines. Again, let's come back, let's link it to the extreme temperatures. It's very hard to work to actually do that. So the Sahara is very big, few roads, no railway lines, no what we call infrastructure. And so people, materials, these products, anything we mine, anything we farm have to travel very vast distances, and often that will actually be done by air which is incredibly expensive. So providing anything here is really difficult because there are no roads. How could you have a settlement set up? You know, you wouldn't even be able to provide medical care because we don't have the transportation to get there. So I hope that kind of covers the challenges. The good news is though, there are lots of opportunities, so I would like you now to pop a heading instead of opportunities. So we're going to move away from the lack of water, the extreme temperatures and the inaccessibility to consider some opportunities and the first one is energy especially solar energy. We've got a desert where we've got sunshine for over 300 days of the year in the Sahara Desert, which is unbelievable. So energy is a huge advantage here specifically in countries at the moment like morocco and algeria in the sahara they are really pushing the development of these great big what we call solar farms huge expanses of solar panels to be specific actually you get over 330 sunny days a year in tunisia Wow, there is a solar farm in Tunisia going to be built that's going to supply electricity for 2.5 million homes, so approximately 10 to 11 million people. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. In Morocco, they have built the world's largest solar farm, it is the size of 3,500 football pitches. I mean, unbelievable. So, the opportunity here, um, solar energy doesn't give off any greenhouse gases, so yes, it's brilliant for the environment, but then you're going to allow this country, like Morocco, like Tunisia, you're going to allow them to develop. They have got great electricity, not just for people's homes, but for their factories, for their industries, for their businesses. So this could massively help with the country's development. So that's a huge advantage and a huge opportunity, renewable energy in particular. Next up, we have got tourism. Tourism is a second huge advantage and the Sahara Desert attracts many visitors. Some people who want to experience sand dunes and see the animals, but also quite a lot of us because of the guaranteed good weather. So Tunisia and Algeria are still popular with Star Wars fans. So I don't know if there's any of you out there who are as well. And of course, Egypt for the famous, one of the wonders of the world, the pyramids. I've been there, it's absolutely stunning. So you have things like 10 million tourists a year visited morocco um obviously this is pre-covid this is in 2018 and egypt was just shy of that number 9.8 million people so this is huge we've studied this before tourism and the multiplier effect a tourist like me i went stayed in Cairo, so I spent money in my hotel, money in a restaurant, money in the taxi transfer from the airport, money on a guide, of course I did a camel, so money on the camel, I bought souvenirs. So think about all these related jobs that are actually caused because of tourism. It's not just about a hotel and having a chambermaid, check-in desk and bar staff, it's all these associated jobs. The farmer who's obviously growing the crops that then was used in the restaurant where I ate, for example, The taxi driver, like the baggage handlers, the tour guide. So we call this the multiplier effect. And think about all the tax. I paid a tourist tax to go to Egypt, but the people in the tourism jobs pay a tax. The hotel company pays a tax. And taxes, I know I get obsessed, I know you're laughing. I can remember teaching back in the classroom, um, talking about how taxes really do make the world go round. Because taxes will pay for schools and hospitals and roads, what the country as a whole benefits from okay I'm nearly done you've only got to listen to me for about three minutes more this is going to be a 15 minute podcast maximum Next up, we have got farming. Now we're going to, have to think, what, Mrs. B? It's the Sahara, it's baking hot. How can anything survive? Well, they do. They use irrigation. So great big massive sprinklers. And my class we studied Egypt and potato farming. And with this podcast, I'll pop on our Google Classroom, I'll pop the little four-minute video so you can remind yourself from when we studied resource management topic. So they use sprinklers, and in the sprinklers, they even put the nutrients that they need because These soils have no quality. So, Egypt is very famous for potato farming, exporting it to the UK. Morocco, though, um, does the dates. Now, dates are those things that. Kind of, I guess they're like a, they look like a kind of a burnt orangey colour. You know, orange is my favourite. They're a bit sticky, and you might remember your grandparents get them out at Christmas. I love them. Dates are amazing though, because they're not only food for humans, sold obviously in supermarkets and shops, but they're actually a great food source for camels and for cattle, which is brilliant. Morocco produced an amazing 90,000 tonnes of dates in 2019. That is a lot of dates, so it is possible to farm here. And also, there is camel farming. Don't laugh, you can look this up. You might want to look up a place called Camelicious in Dubai. But they're actually breeding camels for milk and meat. So there's camel milk, camel butter, camel chocolate. It's amazing. So this is a huge, huge advantage. And then finally, the last big one before I stop today is mining. So there are lots of minerals, Um, famously in the Saudi Arabian desert there's obviously oil underneath the desert but actually underneath the Sahara desert is actually something called phosphates now phosphates are found in fertilizers and obviously fertilizers are used in you know every country every farm on the planet to help our crops grow and Morocco I keep coming back to Mo- Morocco Morocco is the one of the largest exporters of phosphates and mining contributed 35% of all the goods Morocco exported which is amazing other countries like Algeria have got iron ore, you know, iron makes steel, so think about it, from the car, from like, you know, just your knife and fork that you're eating, your house, your radiator, so look around you, your pipes bringing your water in, your tap, you know, we find steel, we find iron ore everywhere. So, in a nutshell, we have got three challenges, the extreme temperatures, the lack of water and the inaccessibility, but then we have actually got four opportunities we've got mining such as phosphates and iron ore in morocco and algeria we've got farming such as potatoes in egypt and dates in morocco we've then got tourism like in egypt and morocco and then we've got solar energy farms like the biggest one on the planet in morocco i'm going to stop now i'm just going to ask you to look back at your notes maybe play this again play this a second time and make sure you are very clear on those opportunities and challenges of the if you're my class i'm going to pop a little link to a video clip about potato farming and also a further clip about this huge massive solar farm in morocco as always thank you so much for listening i hope you found this useful and i'll be back next time with some help on desertification and how we can actually try to manage and survive in the desert bye for now